And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. Sales cures ales. It's just that simple. And nothing at a business occurs until something is sold. That's why it is utterly important that you hire great salespeople at your startup, which is exactly what we're going to talk about today. Now, for those of you listening, you may notice that this is actually the second episode that has come out here on this Friday. And that's why we're publishing a bonus episode today about selling, because I'm just that excited about the topic. If you listen regularly, you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. And you also know that I love selling stuff. That's why I'm a, I'm really, really excited about today's guest. So with me today, I've got Derek Wright. And Derek is the managing partner at DCW Consulting. Go to dcwzone.com, straight out of Florida. Welcome to Startup Hustle, Derek. All right, Matt, great to be with you today. I like to say that no one says it, tells the story or says it better than the CEOs, founders, managing partners of the company. So why don't you give us a little bit of backstory about you and DCW and what brought you to doing all the cool stuff you guys are doing now? Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, like I said, great to be with you today. Uh, you know, I, I, I have, you know, you, what I think is a fairly unique story like all of us do. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's some parallels that, you know, I've seen in a lot of the paths that, you know, I've uh, frankly emulated along the way. Uh, but my story starts getting out of college and not really knowing really what I wanted to do career-wise. Studied business in school and, um, and got recruited into the insurance industry right out of college. And uh, that started a 17-year track that, uh, that I just found myself on a uh, trajectory that, you know, really was, you know, as I look back on it, more of a corporate path, uh, but very sales-oriented. I started in, um, in um, a Fortune 100 company um, in sales, uh, kind of cut my teeth in, um, in that industry at the time. And I realized really quickly that, you know, the, the, the path in sales is really, um, uh, you know, it's, it's not complicated. It's a relatively simple path, but there's, there's some very basic mechanics that I saw with, with really successful salespeople and what made them thrive and why a lot of other people struggled. And um, I became fascinated early on with the idea of, of really building teams and the leadership side of the business. And, you know, that became my question that I asked early on was, you know, how do I get into management? How do I get into a leadership role? And, um, you know, the answer was, was really performance um, in, in some form or another. And that was what put me on a path. And, you know, I hit uh, some, some early targets in my career and was fortunate to get an opportunity um, in my mid-20s to, to actually build my first sales team. And uh, that was, uh, for the most part, my trajectory in my career for the next decade plus. And, you know, I look back on that period of time and um, I can't think of a more difficult industry to be in 
um, than selling life and disability insurance and health insurance and products like this that, uh, frankly, nobody wanted to talk about. Uh, so, you know, talk about a lot of rejection and handling objections and all the things that we know are kind of inherent with sales. Uh, I dealt with all of those for a long period of time. And I really learned that, you know, my my passion and what what kind of still to this day draws me into the profession is, is uh, the idea of developing and helping to grow um, other people's careers, um, frankly, including my own. But, um, I, you know, I, I've become you know, really you know, passionate about that, but also passionate about the idea of seeing somebody that comes into the profession that really never saw themselves coming into, you know, to the career of sales. Uh, but frankly, who does? Nobody really wakes up, I don't think, when they're, you know, when they're eight years old and says to themselves, I want to be a salesperson when they grow up. It's one of those things that sort of just finds you. And I think that there's a lot of DNA that goes into that. I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, things that are hardwired in us. But I also am a firm believer that, and this plays into a lot of what I do today, that uh, sales is, a, is, a, is an industry where you grow. The people that do really well are those that are committed to their, their personal growth. And, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been very uh, fortunate to work with, with hundreds. I've re- personally recruited, um, developed, trained hundreds of sales professionals, um, both in that um, early chapter of my career, as well as some of my entrepreneurial pursuits ever since. Uh, but that first decade and a half of my career was, uh, was a pretty impactful one, sort of laid the foundation for me. Um, my story, like most people on the show here, um, follows an entrepreneurial path, and mine is no different. Um, I had thought for years about starting my own venture, and uh, the years just kind of rolled on. The idea really just never came to me. But um, later on, uh, around 2014, 2015, uh, my, my career in sales management really you know, started crystallizing some, some problems that like most great ventures that get started today, you start toying around with solutions for. And the problem that I had was being in the business of coaching and developing sales reps was I had at the time very little data to help support the coaching that I was doing with, with reps, which really was what I considered to be my primary job. And I didn't know, you know, when I had a team of 25, 30 people in some cases, I wouldn't know who was struggling in which areas, who was doing really well with their prospecting and who was doing really well um, in certain areas of the sales process. And, you know, maybe who was struggling at the point of close and you just didn't have a lot of data because you were relying on manual means to track that. So I, uh, I started toying around this notion um, as, you know, apps were becoming commonplace in uh, practically every aspect of our lives of creating a mobile based activity management system. And um, lo and behold, that's where we kind of ended up going. I started that company in 2015. Name of the company when we started, it was Vivo Mobile. And uh, we changed the name um, about a year and a half into it to 25 Point Systems, which reflected some, uh, some, uh, some ideology from the insurance industry that we had kind of incorporated into what we're doing. Uh, but that started my own entrepreneurial journey. And um, I remember sitting, to my, sit, sitting there thinking to myself in 2015, how in the world am I going to pull this off? I know nothing, nothing about technology. I know nothing about software. The only thing I really know is sales. And I knew that the industry where I came from really, really well, I polled a lot of people. I floated the concept out and I was getting really good responses to it. So, you know, I sort of, um, you know, I sort of went out on a limb and uh, crossed my fingers, hoped that it worked. I actually sold my book of business from my days in the insurance business, gave myself a 12 month runway to, uh, to pay my bills for 12 months, expecting I wouldn't be able to take a salary from this, which turned out entirely to be true. Um, put some money into the business and built myself an MVP. And uh, lo and behold, it was kind of off to the races. Um, really uh, exhilarating experience for the first year. And this was 2016 when we actually launched this. 
And to give you kind of an idea of what I face, so like I said, I knew the industry really, really well, the insurance industry. And as I started getting into it, I realized that that was both an asset and a liability. So my my experience early on when I went to, um, I basically created a, um, a system, raised a little bit of money around it, built a built out a uh, you know real sort of makeshift team in the early stages. And we started trying to go to some of the big insurance companies out there, the New York Lifes, the Mass Mutuals, the Northwestern Mutuals of the world. And um, we got the door slammed in our face. Uh, very humbling experience. And um, I realized at that point that, all right, this still is in, you know, this is essentially a beta. And, you know, it's really an opportunity for us to prove that there's viability in the marketplace. So um, like I think most trajectories with an early stage startup, we shifted gears and I started going out to the individual branch offices that, um, that a lot of these companies have, knowing that most of them control their own P&Ls. Um, I went into some branch offices that may have 25, 50 sales reps and told my story, told my story about how I struggled in management of being, um, you know, in a position where, um, you know, coaching reps was really just a, you know, a, a sort of a, uh, you know, sort of a standardized approach rather than a personalized approach and how reps all hated tracking their activity. You know, this is before, CRMs were as mainstream as they are today, especially in that industry. And so like managers were really struggling with gaining data. So I said, what if we could make it fun? What if we could make it an opportunity for sales reps to actually be more engaged in what they were doing? Um, What if we created things like leaderboards? And what if we created things like community feeds that allowed peers to essentially, you know, be in a situation where they're now, you know, competing with each other in a really, um, you know, friendly, competitive sort of way kind of plays into the DNA of a salesperson. So that uh, that resonated really well. And we started signing up branch offices left and right. Uh, we would sign up 10, 25, 100 seats at a time. And it was a SaaS model. So we grew it from there. And um, and again, it was off to the races from that point. So I learned really quickly that, you know, like, like I think most people that are probably listening to your show, uh, we all tend to think big, but sometimes you have to start small and sort of make incremental you know, progress towards there. And we came back to that later on. So that was um, that was a uh, you know a, just a tremendous experience. Taught me a lot about myself along the way. It was a tremendous experience that ended in a in a sale of the company in 2018. Uh, I sold the company to a small investment group, uh, partially that was involved in the business at that point. And this group wanted to take the business a little different direction. Wanted to focus more internationally. Wanted to focus on other verticals. Uh, and it was time for some fresh leadership. So I got an offer that uh, that. Uh, frankly, I, um, you know, kind of sized up and decided was uh, was uh, the right one to move, right move to make for me. And uh, I left uh, left the business, still maintained a small uh, position in the company and uh, maintained an advisory board role still to this day. Uh, but that was a three year period of time in my life that went by like a blur and um, honestly taught me more about myself and uh, more about you know business in general in those three years than probably the rest of my career combined. Uh, I woke up. One day, you know, after that, after taking a couple of months off and said to myself, all right, what's next? You know, what am I going to do? And I really fell in love with this space. And, you know, a lot of that world where I spent, you know, years in a traditional business training and developing and coaching people just, you know, kind of kind of became the, you know, the natural trajectory of what's next for me. You know, and my business became doing a lot of consulting at the time. I worked with a lot of early stage founders uh, still do to this day. And a lot of those conversations really revolved around, you know, building out their sales organization. Uh, the challenge that I see and, you know, really what the nature of my business is today is there's, there's, there's this space between, you know, gaining some semblance of product market validation, establishing a proof of concept and whatever product you might be trying to bring to market 
and raising a meaningful amount of money, a three to five million dollar round where we all know how that goes. And that turns into a, you know, for a B2B company anyways, a 10 to 15 person sales force. And, you know, a lot of uh, things that kind of go along with that. But there's a lot of in-between space where you have a lot of founders that, you know, I think and probably a lot of folks listening to the show, you know, maybe in this spot where you need more progress and more traction when it comes to revenue. And in order to get that, well, you need more sales manpower. And in order to gain that manpower, it takes investment in the business. So it's a little bit of a chicken and the egg syndrome there. And what we try to do is we try to kind of close that gap and or fill that gap, I should say, um, by finding creative solutions around that. And whether that's hiring sales hire number one, whether that's really creating a, a sounded up infrastructure around what the organization should and will look like as the company grows. Um, a lot of those questions need answers at that stage of the game. And, you know, many founders come from a technical background as opposed to a sales background. My background was, frankly, the opposite. And I think yours was from our conversations as well. Uh, so I look at that scenario and I, I, I saw a big opportunity and I see, you know, a lot of impact that, you know, we're able to have with a lot of early stage founders today and helping them to uh, build out their sales organizations and also to, uh, to find the right sales talent. You know, we're in a situation today where there's just a, a massive talent shortage when it comes to salespeople. And uh, it's a problem. Um, and we're working, to, we're working to change that and to try and uh, you know, put the right people in the right places that can really make an impact on a startup. So um, that's a little bit about my background and kind of what brought me to, to, uh, to be sitting here with you today. So all organizations struggle to find top salespeople. And, you know, there's 700,000 open jobs right now for sales. Sales is kind of a transient position in a lot of places, usually because people burn out or don't succeed or, or whatever. When it comes to hiring salespeople at a startup, where, what's the best place to start? Like, what are we looking for? Cause there's, cause there's a big difference between, a sales leader or manager and a salesperson? Yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's a great question. And I think that there is, there's, there's some, there's going to be some differences from company to company based on what they do, but there are some things that I think parallel across every industry. And you know, I think that with salespeople, you really need somebody that understands um, at least in the startup world, you need somebody that understands that sales is a roll your sleeves up. It is a gritty job. And as a company grows, that starts to look different. Systems and processes become far more important to put in place. But in the early going, I see this a lot. I see that, you know, there's a lot of great talent out there that, you know, may have evolved five, 10 years into their career. And in many cases, they have a lot of trouble backtracking, at least how, as how they look at it, into, you know, the role of really picking up the phone and calling 50 to 100 people per day. And in a lot of cases, that's what a startup really needs is they're really, you know, they're really you know, starving for, you know, generating revenue traction. And, um, and that requires, you know, somebody that isn't afraid to sort of check their ego at the door. And so I think that there's some uniqueness in what is needed with an early stage company versus, you know, a much bigger company that's further along in the life cycle. So I think understanding of that is a bit, it's a, it's a friction point that I see in a lot of cases, but I think that there's also, you know, some hardwired things that you really have to have. And, and I think that there's many people out there that may not even be in sales that, that may not see themselves this way, but have these sort of skills, which to me creates a great opportunity to, you know, to, to uh, expand that pool of 700,000 or the pool that's available to meet, you know, those 700,000 jobs that you mentioned. 
And, um, you know, some of those things are personality driven. Some of them are psychological makeup. How driven is somebody? You know, how resilient are they? What type of experiences have they had in the past that shaped their, you know, their mindset? Have they been able to overcome adversity in past, you know, in past roles or just in their life in general? So I think that a lot of those things are, are frankly far more important than does the person have two years, five years, 10 years of experience in a particular case? Um, because you need somebody that is, you know, that is able to roll their sleeves up in, um, and get to work. In some cases, when I'm hiring a salesperson, I don't want, like you mentioned, I don't know if I want 20 years of experience. It depends on what they're selling. I think that, you know, as someone who, sure, I'm the CEO and founder of Fullscale and the host of the show and a lot of other things. But if you ask me, I'll tell you I'm a salesperson. And I might have been the kid that woke up and wanted to be a salesperson. Now, I'm wired to do it. And I get it. And I know that. Um, and it doesn't scare me, uh, much like you mentioned, I think a lot of people have personality traits that either drag them into the sales boat or cause them to be thrown off the side of it. And, you know, there's a lot of, and it's kind of a, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I often say that your strengths and weaknesses hold hands as they walk down the street. So I think that too many people look at when they go to hire a salesperson, they, stigmatize and kind of look at like, oh, I don't want this like used car salesperson at my software business. I'm like, well, no one wants the, the used car sales, the used car lot usually doesn't want the quote used car salesperson. It's like, that's not really what a good salesperson is. A good salesperson exercises empathy and problem solving skills when it comes to the clients and the customers that they serve. Now, some of the things, and I mentioned like where 20 years of experience can, can be a little different. Well, I mean, here's the reality. Selling was just a lot different 20 years ago. You know, I mean, 20 years ago, the internet was still kind of new. I mean, it was, it was, we're still, everyone's still on dial up and people still answered their telephones and a lot of stuff like that. So when it comes to like an early stage business, I, some of them aren't even ready for a salesperson. How do you know when your business can even handle a full-time salesperson or to be able to define what that person will even do? Yeah, the, the reality is, I mean, the, there's, there's a lot of businesses that are not in, in a position to effectively or successfully bring salespeople on board because they don't have the infrastructure yet. And the infrastructure does start with a lot of what you're describing right there. You know, do you have... Let's think about this. You have you, know, you have some some basic necessities as a business. You have to get your messaging right. You have to have you know your value proposition really buttoned up. There has to be coordination between anybody that is doing you know marketing uh, to support the sales effort, and there has to be um, you know there really has to be synergy in what that messaging looks like across the board. Otherwise, there's going to be confusion. You're going to bring a sales rep into your business, and they're going to rightfully try and really understand the business that they're getting into, and they're going to try and understand the guts of it inside and out so that they can go out and feel confident in what they're, what they're bringing out there. And if the message is all over the board, I think that that's problematic, and I see that a lot. Uh, so I think that there's, re- I think there's a real necessity to, uh, to you know, creating some, some, uh, some, some clarity around that prior to hiring somebody. And I think that there's another factor as well. And that is that, you know, a lot of times, if you, if you look at a, a lot of, if you look at a lot of founders, um, you know, founders come from all walks of life and start businesses for all kinds of reasons. And it's really, you know, it's someone and whether there's two or three co-founders or whether it's a solo founder, it's somebody's baby. 
And that, and it came from somewhere. It was an idea that really, you know, got the juices flowing and it really, you know, was something that, you know, somebody made their own. And that person really needs to be the primary salesperson for the company. It needs to be like, everything needs to come from the top. And I firmly believe that. And the problem is that I don't think that a lot of times that's the case. And I think that a lot of founders, you know, will oftentimes try to find an early solution to sort of delegate the sales function. And I just think that that's a big mistake. I think that founders need to be able to, to, you know, grasp and latch on to some key talking points and really learn how to close deals because anybody that they hire is going to be looking at them for direction on that. And so I, I think that that's really something that's got to be emulated, you know, from the top. So, you know, founders need to be the pr- primary salesperson. Um, I think that, you know, as you build out from there, um, you know, everything is going to resemble what, you know, a founder leads. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that needs to be the founder's primary permanent job, but they're the one that's going to be most passionate about it. Yeah. If most of the, the leaders and CEOs, founders uh, that I've spoken to in the past, well, I mean, the ones that are sales centric, and if you're not a sales centric CEO, you're in the wrong role. Uh, but they'll say that, you know, the CEO should be the company's best salesperson. That doesn't mean that the CEO is always the only salesperson. There's a big difference there. Um, you know, at full scale, that's the, the dynamic we've had. Um, some of it is, you know, just a top level uh, communication you need to be, ha- be having. Like you said, the founder needs to be able to sit there and sell the vision, talk to other founders. I find that people in C-suites and founders and entrepreneurs want to talk to other people in the same roles, maybe not just a business development representative. They get to the point where the, this, that particular sale has kind of evolved out of the position of the person that might have created it in the beginning. Um, when it comes to the messaging, and that's one of the things that I see a lot of, like we're in this, this we've been going through this metamorphosis where so much uh, opportunity and entrepreneurship and all of that has revolved around tech. And it's like, it's a different sale, like uh, the sales process, sales messaging, and all of it for a SaaS company. Like these are companies that typically don't want to talk to people on the phone, but they have a different sales process that goes with it. I mean, sometimes they do talk to people, sometimes they don't, there's scalability concerns. You know, if you're selling a product that costs $20 a month, can I really even afford to talk to you on the phone? What are you training your future clients and users to actually do? So, what, you know, we mentioned a, uh, you know, a few minutes ago that there's a big difference between like a sales leader and a salesperson. And I think this is where a lot of startups kind of get this wrong because they'll go out and, uh, you know, we're all taught you got to find the best people you can. So you go and find a true sales leader. And then oftentimes that person isn't who, well, they don't want to be the every like the front line of the sales process they're expecting to build a team and to do a whole lot of different stuff and i think that that's one of the things that early stage companies really need to consider is like are you looking for like a business development rep or someone that's going to lead a team because hiring one and not the other can can really cause a lot of chaos i mean i've seen that uh, seen that occur a lot so you know, when it comes to why you should be hiring a full-time salesperson, especially if you're an early stage company or a startup, I mean, nothing's going to validate your progress, your efforts, um, and bring in more investors or support than some sales. Now, you know, when it comes to it, you mentioned that so many founders aren't very good salespeople. And I think some of that's a product of a tech-driven culture, because a lot of the founders that I've spoken to, they're like, I'm a product guy. 
how do you fix that? I mean, how do we fix someone that says, uh, you know, like I've just kind of learned that people that say that they don't like selling or that it's not their thing usually are average at best. So how do we at least get them to be average at best? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're going to, you're going to break down the, the answer to this is you're going to break down people into two camps. You're going to have those that are coachable and are humble enough to recognize that with all the strengths that they're bringing to their venture, that they're a human being, you know, we all, or you and I are sitting here, we all have strengths and weaknesses. Everybody does. And, you know, I think that ego a lot of times gets in the way of that where, you know, where, where people may sometimes even, you may get people that, that, that think that they're, you know, that they're, they're doing a, you know, a fantastic well, That's, that's the opposite side of it. Yeah. That's the yeah, opposite that's side the opposite of it too. Side. You often get people in there, they think they're great at selling and then they're fucking terrible at it. Like, I yeah. mean, like detrimental to the business bad. It's, a, it's a, I think they're the similar, similar fix though. Like, and there, it is kind is. of ego driven. What, yeah. What you've got, what you've got to basically find out what, in terms of, uh, you know, what you're, if you're somebody like me, what, what I'm looking for when I, when I have one of these type of conversations is whether somebody is, is coachable and, you know, whether a founder is coachable, like founders are, you know, are a founder because they don't like being told what to do. They're, 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 they're a rebel by their very nature. We all are. Uh, but we have to, but I think the ones of uh, the, the ones of us that are going to, you know, go on to do great things are the ones that are going to have the humility to be able to say, I need to become better at this particular aspect of the business. And that's okay. So it, you're, we're not, we're not suggesting that, you know, that a founder needs to, you know, to, you know, establish a new career path for themselves. They've got a business to grow. What they really need to exhibit over the long term is leadership, you know, amongst other things. But, you know, as a salesperson, they need to be able to, you know, learn how to do great discovery. They need to learn how to be able to, you know, qualify and disqualify. Um, these are all skills that can be taught. And, and I think that, you know, I, I have a lot of these type of conversations because, um, you know, fortunately, I think there are a lot of founders that do recognize that and recognize that some of it is just about language. Some of it is, you know, about, you know, the way that you formulate and follow a process you know, through your sales, you know, through, through the sales cycle or whatever that looks like for your business. Um, but I think that that's honestly where it starts. It starts with being coachable and having the humility to be able to take that on. I think the messaging that you're talking about, and I, and I have had such a fascination with this for like decades at this point there and really aging myself, but, you know, messaging is, is oftentimes simple. Like people use words like cheap rather than affordable. And, and, and just all of it. And often it's like too much uh, it, for Darn the long time listeners, for the long time listeners, I'm always talking about what are the benefits? Like, now I don't care about your features. Like, I don't care. I care about the benefits that they provide me or my business. And that's, and, and I think that's the first step with getting your messaging, right? Cause I have talked to too many people that get down the, the they go down the feature path. And I'm like sitting here going, you haven't even asked me what I need, what solutions I'm looking for, what I have a problem with. So, you know, maybe that messaging, well, not maybe, that messaging is usually best, best started with a few simple questions. And I think that if you're having a hard time finding salespeople um, and you think it's because of your message or it's because of something else, like you can kind of flip it around. Like if I see a salesperson come in to an interview I'll ask him right away, him or her. I'll ask them right away. Like, tell me what 
sell me my own product. And I want to see what they have to say about it. Because, well, for the ones that show up unprepared, that's usually the, their shot come and gone. And then the, there are quite a few that will latch right onto the benefits because that's what's peop, what people are buying. So, you know, overall, that's, I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I, I get, I get kind of adamant about that because I really do hear, like I there's a big difference between the word cheap and affordable. Like 100%. one represents quality and value. The other is like broken and shitty. You know, so and, and you know this that, is so. you know that's a product of Matt is is it's it's just it's lazy communication. It's not because because most it's a product people, it's a product of not thinking about it, right? Exactly. Right. Most people, yeah. most rational people listening right now are going to agree with you on that. But how many people are inadvertently saying things like that and using the wrong verb verbiage, the wrong words that are just sending an entirely different message than intended? You know how I fix it? Practice. 100%. I mean, literally practice every time I don't give pitches, I give presentations. Right. And, um, that's another thing too. Like I hate, I hate what's the pitch I'm, I'm presenting to you. I'm not pitching you like now, look, sometimes this is different. There are situations where there is a pitch and that's to me, that's like a quick, like, it's almost like you're walking by and I've got 22 seconds. Now I'm pitching. I'm not, I'm not into a presentation, but the presentation like, I think if you're going to find people at your startup in your sales department, I, you know, it's, I really do think it's challenged. Like if you are truly like venture backed and you've got, you've got a war chest of cash, then I think you're going for a true like sales leader, but that's going to be expensive. It really is. And that's one of the things you're going to have to think about is like, is this person here to multiply and create an army of salespeople? Or is this person here to be the salesperson? And I find a lot of like a lot of early stage companies really kind of get they're like they think they have the right person and they didn't. So that's something to think about. Now, you, know, you mentioned we were, we were you mentioned personality styles and this is a bit a hot topic for me. In fact, in one of my books, uh, Balance Me, I wrote a whole chapter about this because understanding personality styles is a key ingredient for well, honestly, just for being successful in many ways. And some sales, I think the stigma is that salespeople are all talkers. Uh, in my experience, the best salespeople I've worked with and around know how to be really good listeners. Hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. There agree. you go. See here, Derek was a great listener there. <laughs> <laughs> it's an example people, but Oops. no, you, when you're listening, you're listening for the problems. And, and when, when someone you're trying to do business with, you know, you can ask them, you know, what's the biggest problem that you need to solve at your business? And they usually unload and tell you all of their problems, all of their headaches, all of their shit. That's when you're a listener and you become a problem solver at that point. And you got to listen to what is important to whomever you're trying to sell to. Now, in some cases, products are simple things. They have one solution. And that's it. But that isn't usually the case. Like at full scale, I, I mean, I say all of our clients are like snowflakes. I mean, there is not one that is exactly or quite honestly, really even that close to the others. They all have different sets of resources, different approaches. And they reach out to us like and I and it's funny because I was telling my, my own staff the other day, I was like, I don't even consider myself a salesperson because I'm not really trying to sell sell. I'm not trying to like influence your decision. I want to know what your problems are. If I think it's something that we can help with, 
then I'll tell you, but the feedback I've gotten on myself as a salesperson is that candor and transparency has been the reason that most people want to do business with us because it's just as much about telling people what you can't do as what you can do. Because here's the thing is if you're, if you bullshit people about it, and I think you want to avoid bullshitters. Like if you get a whiff of a of bullshit in a while you're interviewing a salesperson at your startup, let them go. Because whether yeah. that's the first person or the fifth person, you're going to create some cultural issues, and you'll find that those are the people that you bring in. They'll sign they'll sign up clients or users or make a few sales, and then those relationships crumble very quickly. Because if you can't deliver for the client, they're not going to stay a client. So how do you, what, what is, do you have a bullshit detector and what is it fueled by? Like, what are you listening for and like looking out for when you're, when you're trying to hire for a startup? Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the selection, the interviewing process is a really, is a really critical piece to the puzzle. And, you know, I, I, I try to get, um, I try to get folks to look at these things in different kind of buckets. And, you know, you first of all have to, especially in today's market, we're a candidate driven market now, and you have to be able to attract the kind of potential talent that you want into your organization to begin with. And that is sales in and of itself. So like, let's, let's compartmentalize that for a moment and jump, jump ahead to what you're describing, which is how do you figure out really what somebody's made of? How do you call bullshit if they're, you know, if they're feeding you, you know, uh, you know, what you want to hear rather than what, you know, what the real answer is. And I think what, you know, what, what do you really, I think this starts with asking yourself what you really want to know about this person. You want to know, so what, if I'm hiring a salesperson today, I want to know, is this person going to, does this person have the communication skills, the authentic, genuine communication skills that are going to make somebody comfortable on the other end? Do they ask good questions? Are they, you know, are they inquisitive? Are they curious by nature? Those are the type of things I'm looking for. But there's also, you know, there's 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 a big issue that I always find is really critical in sales. And I'm coming back to your question directly. And that is, you know, there's a there's a lot to be said about about the word accountability and whether somebody actually, uh, you know, follows through on what they say they're going to do. Are they reliable? Can they be counted on not only to produce results, but to be transparent, to be honest and to be a good team player. And all those things kind of coincide with each other. So I think that, you know, you've got to get beyond some of the basic interview questions like, you know, like, you know, tell me about, um, you know, I don't know, there's, you know, there's so many awful interview questions that you can use that are very, very shallow and surface level. You know, and a, bet, a better one might ask is, you know, tell me about when you failed at something. Tell me about when something really like that you were shooting for didn't go well, when you really just, you know, you, did, you weren't able to come through on something. And what I, I, and I asked that question for a really particular reason. I'm listening for... Um, I'm listening for whether somebody is taking ownership of that or whether they're going to start talking about somebody else and why it's somebody else's fault. And you'd be surprised how often you're going to hear, well, you know, I didn't hit my quota this past quarter or last year, um, you know, because, you know, our product launch was late because, um, you know, the, you know, the market, you know, retracted and, you know, we had this and they're all external factors. It may not be a person they're blaming, but it's a phenomenon. It's the economy. Or it might be internal, you know, relationships or, you know, the client, you know, had turnover or it could have been anything like that, too. I'm looking for somebody that's going to be able to, you know, authentically say to me, hey, listen, you know what? You know, I, you know, I was 90 percent of quota last quarter and I missed it. You know, I'm falling on my sword for that. It's, you know, it's it's on me. It's all me. And I think that that's really important because it, you know, it tells you a lot about the person. 
Um, that tells me whether I'm dealing with an authentic, genuine person. And to me, it says a lot about trustworthiness too. So, you know, I think you got to ask questions like that during your selection process to figure out what type of person that you're dealing with. Um, you just can't find that out with some of the surface level stuff that I think is too common. Yeah, we were talking about that. So Matt Watson, my business partner at Full Scale, and I were talking during our 52-part series. And once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by FullScale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. But we're talking, we're doing this 52-part series about how to start a tech company. And uh, and we have an episode that's literally, it'll be coming out soon, titled, Why Should Anyone Choose You? And so we started the episode as if it was uh, all about selling, but it kind of pivoted into it's also about recruiting. And, you know, that's a that's a form of sales that I think is really overlooked. And, you know, I was even talking to our COO because we were just talking about recruitment and just a bunch of different stuff. I've got 225 employees worldwide and we get hundreds of applications every month. So we're talking about how do we get through those and do better. And, you know, the question was, well, do we need to bring in a recruiter? Well, in, in our office in the Philippines, we actually have a guy that was in sales that we turned into a recruiter because it's the same, the same process. And the question is, is like, why do these people want to come land with you? Why do they want to stay with you? And um, these are all like, these are all really, really, really deep philosophical questions for some people that are that are involved in sales and where do you go? So, okay. So, you know, we talked a little bit so far about the, you know, hiring salespeople, hiring sales leaders, there is a difference. Um, I like, once again, and I want to reiterate, you need to like really, before you start interviewing people, be clear about what you're looking for. Cause a lot of the department leaders, these are people that might not even have made sales at the places that they've been for 10 years. You know, they, because they're they're doing different stuff. So if you want to get into managing a sales team effectively, um, there's some things that you need to talk about. And I think that that starts with like, you know, well, what stage is your business at? Do you have you even developed a strategy? Like, do you have any strategy at all? And I think that, um, you know, think about are you bringing someone in to do that and develop your strategy to improve it, to throw your existing strategy out and create one that actually works. Um, so when it comes to developing an actual strategy, what's advice that you give to startups? Uh, yeah, great question. I, I think that you, you've got to, you've got to recognize like you're, like you're describing where you're at in that process and, and what you need. I think some of the, you know, some, some of the, the fact finding that you need to do as a business owner it's frankly, you know, as much with yourself and determining what you need than it is with the candidate up front. Um, I think that, you know, I, I see because because this is this is my business. I see all kinds of different scenarios and, and every one of them. You describe snowflakes and how every one of your clients is business. I would agree with that um, also in my business, because even though you see parallels, you know, most of the companies that I that I work with are B2B software companies, for instance, you know, not exclusively, but predominantly. And so you'd think that there's a lot of parallels there, but, you know, it's interesting. There's, you know, there are, you know, there are various factors that kind of impact this price point, complexity, you know, te technical complexity is a big one. Um, but what type of a product in a, you know, in a sales process kind of goes along with this, the process with, 
you know, it's selling a $10 a month SaaS seed is very different than selling a, you know, a, a half a million dollar enterprise software contract that may take you nine, 12 months to complete. So I think you really have to, I think you really have to look at that. And I think a lot of that is just needs assessment and it's, you know, it's determining what you really actually need up front. Um, there's a, there is a lot of variables to this too. Marketing plays a key role in a lot of businesses and a lot of businesses that just, you know, it, it doesn't, not the marketing is not important. Your brand is always going to be important to whatnot, but marketing is going to support sales in various different ways. Um, you know, and it's going to differ from company to company. So I, I really think that, especially at the early stage, it comes down to, it comes down to determining what, you know, what the individual needs that you have are you, um, you know, when you're, when you're hiring a, you know, sales hire number one, to go back to your point about, you know, how a sales leader and somebody that may have 20 years experience may not be the right person for that role. They may be, but chances are they probably are, you know, their, their compensation demands are probably going to be too high, number one. Um, so let's just be fair about that. But there's also a, you know, there's also a, you know, a feeling of where you're at as a, as a rep that may not jive with the early stage of the company. And so I think that, you know, the, a lot of times the best hire that I see for a, for an early stage company is somebody who has one, two years experience and somebody who has, you know, has learned the ropes to some degree. They're not completely green and straight out of college or straight out of wherever. And they have some, some bearings on the business world, but they're not established in their habits yet. And I think that that's a big one is, is, you know, the habits that we like, let's face it. I remember somebody saying to this me early on in my career, everybody's going to develop habits. We're all going to be products of our products of our habits, but they're either going to be good habits or they're going to be self, you know, self, you know, they're going to be damaging habits. They're going to be, you know, things are going to hold us back. But I think when you, when you get somebody who is, who is, I'm not even going to use the word younger because it's not necessarily younger, but somebody who is, who has that sort of mindset that's versatile and I think that's the key word is versatility. You need somebody who's versatile to be able to come into a role and embrace, you know, what the needs are of an early stage company. There's also, you know, there's a, in a lot of cases, you may have a company that's achieved some level of validation of, of whatever its concept is by this point, but it's an ongoing series of experiments. You know that. And, you know, most of the listeners near know that is that, you know, experimenting with, you know, where our product is going to fit and how we're going to scale that is going to be a, you know, it's going to be an ongoing thing for a while. And you need people that aren't afraid to fail. A lot of times when you have somebody who is, you know, who's further on in their career, there's a, we, I think the tendency is that a lot of us, not all of us, but many of us become, you know, more risk averse with our careers as time goes on, because we feel like we've built up to that point. So I think a healthy way to approach that, whether you're 20 years into it, or whether you're 20 days into it, is to have this sort of versatile approach to it. And I think that that's what founders need to look for is they need somebody who has that level of versatility. I want people that are going to be active. Like you mentioned earlier about like, so I've done that in the past. And for those of you that aren't aware, before I was an entrepreneur, I worked in and around the music industry. I won't get too far into that. While I was a quote, district sales manager for the world's largest maker of electronic musical instruments. At the same time, I was a sales trainer because everywhere I went, I had to teach people how to sell our stuff better. And some of the things that were always a problem is, you know, and someone said this to me like 20 years ago, and it just stuck with me is activity breeds sales. And it does. And, you know, that's the thing is you'll, you'll find that you'll get, I think if you're looking for someone, especially if you get one, if you only have one opening, you want to find people, like you mentioned that people that, well, when you say afraid to fail, so as a salesperson, you fail all the time because most people say no. 
I mean, it's just, or they're saying no along the way. And if you can't handle that, like if you're too insecure or that somehow destroys your persona, then you're not going to be good at sales. And that's a different, that's a different cure. That's a different thing that you have to fix with someone um, to get them to go do it. But the, the great salespeople, and I mean like the really elite people I know, they, they just cruise right through no's. Like, and no, it's sometimes a challenge to do a better job of handling objections. And that's back to problem solving. You know, really like there is a lot of problem solving when it comes to it. Another thing too is, you know, if you want to, if you want to interview a salesperson to hire them, ask them about what they're selling now or what they've sold in the past, let them talk about it and then ask them to tell you about what the competitor sells. How much do they know? about the competitive products. Cause you'll find that the ones that aren't any good at selling, they don't know a damn thing about what they're selling against. They might have memorized a bulleted list of features, advantages, and benefits that come with what they're selling now. But do they know what everyone else sells? Do they know why what they're selling is, is better than the co competition or how it solves a problem? Like what's, what's the actual why? And that's where I find that, that a lot of salespeople begin to fail. And I think that's an easy way to test them is like, okay, what's the problem that, you're, that your solution solves and how and why? Tell me about it and tell me about the competition. Because, you know, when I, like I said, when I was actively selling products, I could have told you what all of the other stuff did. And in some cases, why their stuff was better for one slice of the solution and why ours was better for a bigger slice. And like, you're not always the best. I mean, there are certain things that do one out of four things that a buyer might want to look for, but yours does three out of four. And I don't, I never had a problem saying, if you want this one particular thing, we might not be the best for you. But if you're looking for three or all four of these, we're at least going to give you most of it. And I don't know, understanding what you're up against and what you're selling, it let, lets me know how serious you are about being an expert on all of it. Like, and it just blows my mind, like, you know, like how many salespeople aren't experts at what they, what they are trying to sell. And you get into, you lose credibility and it just becomes a challenge to get stuff done. But really in the end, if you're not active, if you're not going to take a lot of shots, was it Wayne Gretzky that said you're going to miss 100% of the shots you don't take? And, then, you know, I mean, I've had salespeople, I'm like, what'd you do today? They're like, I sent out 10 emails. And I'm sitting there thinking I could have automated something to send out 10,000. What else did you do? You know, and like you, you run into that. Let's let's end this show by ha having a little, uh, maybe we can unload some weight on our souls as well for <laughs> the thing, for how to spot when you have the wrong salespeople in your organization and it's time to make a change. And I think, I think non-activity, but if you don't define what is active and what that benchmark is, then you're never going to know. You got to be able to track it. That's like a whole nother show, but what are some red flags that you've come across uh, that say it might be time for a change with who you've already got? Yeah, I think I think that there's there, there's a there's a myriad of them, but I think that most of them, <laughs> and there the and there thing, really are. There's like that list is massive. Uh, yeah, massive. It, it is. But I mean, from my experience, you, it's detachment. You know, you see somebody detach from, especially when you've got a really good culture. And um, we haven't really spoken much about that, but you know, I I'm a firm believer. I think culture is a huge part of why organizations succeed. You know, maybe. 
you know, it's important early on, but I think especially as the sales organization starts growing, it's, um, it's really important to build that kind of culture where there's camaraderie and where people feed off each other, et cetera. And when you see people start to detach from that, if, you know, if they're showing, if they're not showing up for meetings, if they're not, you know, if they're late turning in, you know, reports or whatever it is, if their activity starts languishing, these are all signs that like, if you catch them early on, you can usually put two and two together fairly quickly. I think you've just got to, you've got to, um, you know, the old adage is hire slow and fire fast, right? And, and I think that that's even more important for an early stage company. Um, I, you know, this is relevant, relevant to your question here. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I have a, I have a company that I'm working with right now that, um, you know, that there's a, you know, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a sales hire. Number one um, is not necessarily working out all that great. And, you know, that, that person is, you know, is a, there's a lot invested in that, in, you know, and that one individual to make this company grow. And you can't let that investment sit there for six months. Um, you just, you just can't. And it's not so much, it's not so much that, you know, you don't want to give the person, you know, um, you know, a runway to be able to create, you know, the, the results that you want to, but, um, but, you know, on one hand you do. So, I mean, you, you've got, you've got to be able to manage activity. And to me, like the most important thing is to establish early on is, you know, clear expectations. There has to be you know, an onboarding plan. I don't care how new you are. I don't care, you know, what, you know, how, you know, how messy the business might be. There's got to be a plan and an onboarding plan and what's expected of that person. And when they're not hitting some of these things, especially if they're measurable, like how many calls did you make? How many emails did you send out? Things like that are, that are completely controllable. There's no excuse for not hitting those. And when you see somebody start to languish off of the activity, if you see them kind of start to detach or whatnot, Chances are the relationship is probably also emulating that too, and you can probably feel it. But that's the time when you got to have some candid conversations, and you got to ask yourself: Is this person with me for the long term, or is it time to make a change? And it's okay to make a change if you feel like you've made a mistake, even four weeks into it. Um, I, you know, I'm just a I'm a believer in that. I mean, for companies that are a little bit further down the line, um, I think that the same thing holds true. Um, but I think that the cultural aspect becomes even more important where you can recognize, you know, who's sort of drifting away from the team, who's sort of drifting away from the culture, who's not carrying their weight. And you've got to have some hard conversations, which is another part to that, too, is, you know, the difficult coaching conversations that need to be had sometimes aren't. And, you know, sometimes they can be avoided. If you catch those type of things early on, you might find that somebody's just having personal issues at home. There might be something going on in their life that's pulling them away. There might be something else going on. And I think as a, you know, as a founder, as a coach, as a manager, whatever, you know, you want to see yourself as, I think that when you're, you know, when you can have real conversations with people, sometimes you can peel the onion back on that and figure out what you're dealing with. And sometimes it's salvageable. It doesn't always mean that, okay, this person didn't hit their numbers for three weeks. I've got to get rid of them. Sometimes there's a reason behind that. And sometimes you can coach them through it. You might still have a great performer. I got two things that I think stand out the most that signal you need to change. One is self-doubt existent. Like are your as your salesperson or salespeople, are they confident in what they're doing and what they're selling? Because if they're not, that's going to lead to like a lot of excuses and complaining. They're going to give up too soon. There's, a, I mean, a lot to be said about that. And then I think the other one is, are your... And you kind of you kind of came close to saying these words, but are they prospecting? Are they looking for new business or are they just catching the fish that swim into the net 
or jump in the boat. And that's, you know, that's something that is a challenge in some businesses because prospecting has the, the whole act of it and art of it has changed quite a bit over the years. And meaning like, we you know, at the very beginning of the show, we mentioned that um, sales is different than it was 20 years ago. So some of that you gotta, you know, I don't know. I think it, uh, great salespeople are always out there looking for the next sale. There's a million ways to do that and a million ways to get things done. Now, as we get ready to end this episode, a quick reminder, today's episode of Startup Hustle was brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. We'll take all the hiring uncertainty out of that. We talked to about 40 applicants to find one that we want to hire. So we take that pretty seriously. Now, I end my episodes of Startup Hustle with what we call the Founders Freestyle. I say my episodes because I'm not the only host on the show anymore, people. Make sure you tune in weekly and listen to what Andrew Morgans, the CEO and founder of Marknology, has to say about e-commerce and Amazon brand acceleration, and also tune in to Lauren Conaway's weekly show. She is the CEO of Innovate Her and someone who handles really tough topics and does an amazing job at what she does in life. So Derek, here in the Founders Freestyle, I like to give my guests an opportunity to freestyle with anything that they feel like they may have missed or perhaps reiterate important points, or maybe you had an epiphany during the show and realized something juicy had occurred. So overall, uh, what, how, how do you want to leave the listeners today? I'll just say that I'll just say this, you know, there's a, we, I, I'm a firm believer in this as a, as a philosophy I've carried for a long time. I really believe that entrepreneurship is, you know, is the ultimate expression of freedom, I say a lot. And it, come, it comes with having to make a lot of hard decisions. And, you know, the, the, I, I live and breathe this stuff every day because I have lots of these conversations. I talk with people on two different sides of the fence all the time. I talk with great salespeople, um, sometimes people that, you know, are emerging salespeople and sometimes people that are getting into that line of work. And, you know, and you talk about people's career, you talk to people about their careers and where they see their career paths go. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of satisfaction. I get at a lot of those conversations and be able to marry up somebody with, um, with the right opportunity. And that's the other side of the coin is I talk with a lot of founders that, that, you know, they recognize where they're at and they recognize the fact that, you know, in order to get to point A, point B, or wherever they're trying to get to, and whether that's, you know, a target, a revenue target that they need to hit in order to close their next round, whatever, whatever it may be, um, the answer to that in many cases is, you know, is finding the right approach with sales. It's in the early going, it may not even be a matter of like, I need to hire three full-time people. It may be being creative. It may be saying to myself, Hey, listen, you know what? I've, um, I founded this company here too. I've got a solid tech team in place. I've got a design team in place. I've got a, you know, I've got a finance person and I, I may have some of these basic building blocks, but I'm really kind of light on what resources are going into the whole go-to-market approach that I have right here. And, you know, I think a lot of times what, you know, I think a lot of times what we tend to look at as founders, because, you know, we're at the, we're at the point where, you know, every dollar counts, right? And, you know, as you're putting money into your business, you know, we've got to be, we've got to be, I don't want to use the word frugal. We've got to be smart about how we're allocating resources. And I think sometimes sales tends to be one of those things we look at as an extra rather than an essential building block in there too. It sounds crazy, 
But I think that there's a lot there's there's a lot of cases where I see that that's exactly what the case is. I would argue that, you know, and I would appeal to you if you find yourself, if you're a listener and you're finding yourself in that situation, <clears throat> excuse me, if you find yourself in that situation. Ask yourself what it would mean if if you just ignored the revenue trajectory that you're trying to get to and you just kind of floated along with where you're at right now, where is that going to get you to? Are you going to be able to get to where you're trying to get to? If it's some, sometimes it's a matter of figuring out like how to reallocate resources and how to, um, how to simply make it work. Um, that might not be hiring a full-time salesperson. That might be saying, hey, listen, you know what? I'm going to, as a founder, clear everything off my desk and I'm going to just say clean slate, my sole focus is going to be now that we've got the product up and running, we're in good shape. I need to be the evangelist for the company. I need to be the one that is leading the way and leading the sales charge. And I need to get better at it. We talked about this earlier in the episode. And I think that a lot of times that's a, like, that can be a courageous decision for a founder to make. And that might be hiring a business coach. That might be, you know, attending a training workshop. I don't care what it is. could be anything that's going to allow you to improve your skills and to get your messaging closer to where you needed to be in order to get better results. Uh, I think that's the first step. But beyond that, too, I think that there's a lot of uniqueness about the recruiting process for a founder. And, you know, this is the sweet spot for, you know, my team and I focus on is, you know, really finding that unique talent that's going to help formulate the right kind of basis for growing a sales organization. Um, a lot of times it's not hiring somebody out of Salesforce or out of Dell Computer or whatnot, because that's a very different environment. You want people that are nimble. We talked about a lot of this today. You want people that are nimble, versatile and can um, you know, can embrace uh, the messiness of a startup environment. Um, you know, and I say the messiness in, the, you know, the best way possible. It's a, um, you know, it's an invigorating environment that requires a different sort of mindset. Um, we have those people. And, you know, I'm going to give a little plug for, for us and what we do, uh, because, you know, we've maintained relationships with hundreds of folks like this over the years. Um, you know, many of which, you know, have parlayed over from, you know, from my former life, and I've maintained relationships for years. Uh, but that's sort of, that sort of mentality, you know, a lot of times these type of folks, and I'm speaking with my recruiter's hat on for a moment, uh, that type of mentality does not usually translate into people that are on the job boards and are putting out resumes and applying for jobs in the traditional way that would make it a lot easier, but it just doesn't happen that way. These are folks that are usually doing well in what they're doing and they're three, four years into it. But if you really press them, you know, one night over a scotch or a adult beverage of your choice, you'd find that they are going to feel like maybe their growth has been, you know, has been stymied over the last year. And then maybe they're ready for the new challenge. And, you know, you're going to find situations like that. And uh, to me, those are the conversations I relish because they're about somebody's career. And they're also about finding the right situation that's going to translate into how is company A going to raise their series A and move on to the next level right there, too. And people are a big part of that. You got to have the right people on board, as you mentioned earlier. Um, but it's a complicated, it's a complicated endeavor. Sometimes I think too many startups try to approach recruiting as you know, as soon as I can find somebody that's got a couple of years' experience and they check off a couple of boxes, we've got them in a seat, and then we find out six months or twelve months into it, it's not the right person that they're not performing, and maybe they just leave. You know, maybe they're not finding the environment is fertile enough for the, you know, for them to grow because it's, you know, it hasn't been really matched up with their skill set. So, you know, that's what we do is we try to take, we try to improve the quality and the, like the, and take the risk out of the equation of the wrong hire, you know, at a really impactful stage for a company. Yeah. Overall, I, I, I agree with, with that. And, you know, I, 
I'm going to go back to the very first thing I said in the show for my freestyle here. You know, nothing happens in a business until something's sold. There's no accounting to be done. There's no products to be shipped. There's no users to support. So overall, I think that you need to, no matter what you do, you need to look at yourself as a sales organization that happens to also do this. And saying that sets the idea, I think too many organizations get off track and they're like, we're in the pro we're in the business of doing this. No, you're in the business of selling this solution. And that happens to be possible because you have a product or software that does that. And that's a mentality that creates a sales centric organization. I think another thing for those of you that are in the early stages is don't put off getting the sales and marketing process right. It's really, really easy to do exactly that and just decide, oh, well, we're going to, we're not ready for that. We're not ready for that. We're not ready for that. The problem is, is you get really far down the road and now you don't have your sales and marketing sorted out or figured out or understood. And you're just kind of treading water at that point. You're not really making advancement. I think when it comes to people, I think you want to look for people that you feel are going to be active, excited, and passionate. Uh, about what they're going to solve. I jokingly have referred to, well, you could wake up and have to sell plastic every day. Meaning like, no, I don't think anybody's like ever wakes up and they're like, God dang it. I'm just really excited. I get to sell the thing that's polluting the earth the most. No, but the thing is, is they're not passion there. If you can find someone that's passionate about solving the problems or has some understanding or expertise in an industry. Now, in a lot of cases in tech, that's hard to find because maybe you're solving problems that a lot of people haven't solved. That said, 80% of most salespeople's process is not different depending on the industry. I mean, these are like, you're giving a presentation, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're qualifying, you're looking for new sales and prospects. And a lot of that, you're handling objections and you're closing a deal. Like people, I mean, I've sold tens of millions of dollars worth of stuff in my life at this point. And my people are like, well, what's your closing line? I'm like, what's a closing line? You know, like my closing line is when do you want to get started? Or can we bring this up? You know, these that's, that's all it takes is an ask. And I think then the last thing, and we didn't get into this, I think if you're, if you find your salespeople are not asking for the sale, then you're selling way less than you possibly could. That's, that's the thing that, especially in relationship based selling, where you're cultivating a relationship, people that oftentimes are afraid that they're going to offend the person that they're asking to buy something. And it's often the case that the person came, walked through the front door and asked for it. So they're expecting you to sell it. I was even talking to my wife the other day because we were joking because I had purchased a rug. I went to buy a pinball machine and I spent two grand on a, on a huge rug because I appreciated the guy that was selling it to me. I was like, this is a, this, I literally have bought stuff that I don't even need or want or care about because I'm so excited when someone actually like takes me through a real sales process and actually asks me <laughs> to buy something. I think that's probably the biggest mistake that, that, most salespeople make. So once again, if you're interested in this topic, we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of shows in the feed that are, that are related to this, that go to different types of industries, software products, 
just sales in general. If you have more questions or you want to reach out about what Derek is doing at DCW Zone, there is a link in the show notes. Make sure to click it, reach out. They help people all over the country. With that, I'm going to go try to sell something. So I'll see you down the road, Derek. All right, I'm with you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.